Hey, how's it going? This is I Am Radio with Richie Ray. And um, I'm sitting here with my wife. We're having dinner. I'm having some wine. And my wife asks me, what is I Am? And, you know, I prompted her to ask me a question. I'm always prompting people to challenge me. I, I need to learn how to give an adequate response, a sufficient response, an intelligent response, logical response, rational response. And just always pushing the limits, you know, testing my mental horizons and broadening my mental horizons. And so she asked me, what is I am? And I couldn't help but go back to, so it's 1997. And let me give you some context. My dad passed away. I'm 19 years old. I'm in the United States Navy. I'm in the Indian Indian Ocean. And uh, a man hands me you know, a fellow shipmate, another sailor, hands me a copy of Notes from Underground by Fyodor Mikhailovich Dostoevsky. And I began reading that book, and I was telling my my wife when I first read that book, it was so intellectually profound to, at least the first part, to see a man critique humanity in such an incisive way and expound on... Maybe all the foibles or the weaknesses of human behavior attachments and all that stuff. And so when I first read um, Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground, for me, it was a, a type of profundity that was insightful and intellectual. It was a noetic journey. And so I compared it to I am. Christ says I am. God, as the burning bush says, I am. Always being mysterious, uh, never revealing himself only through a bush or through the embodiment of Christ, right? The, um, the only ways we can ever know him um, because we're sin and we're not going to get to know him un- until we're back to the spirit. But <clears throat> when you think of I am, it, it's profound initially because it's a statement and usually I am, am, you know, I is the subject, am is the linking verb, so there has to be a nominative, there's got to be something that's named, you know, if we think about it grammatically, it, it's a, it's an incomplete statement, but in that incompleteness, it's, it's beautiful, because it's saying I am super abundant, I am everything, I do not need to be completed, because what is infinite is never completed, I am. And that's your daily dose of profundity right there. And then you can, you know, deliberate on that for thousands of years. And I said, you know, but at the same time, I am. If you really think about it, God is a, he's a jokester. He's got a sense of humor. And our fathers really do have senses of humor. Think about all the times your dad's joked around. Or they, um, they were very playful. Do you remember any times where your dad was playful? Or it's something that was endearing or something? Or you just knew your dad was a certain way? I see my wife smiling too because she's probably remembering. Because our dads, everybody, everybody. You know, we all have our flaws and we all have our perfections. We have um, so many. We're so creative in so many different ways. We're a gorgeous geometry. How can, We're a poem. How can we not? Yeah, we're going to have sometimes dead stanzas and we're going to have very vibrant 
um, choruses and verses and stanzas. We're we're a music that doesn't end. But do you remember a time when like me? Well, what made? How did your dad make you laugh? Because dads make us laugh. <laughs> if you could remember. <clears throat> oh, he would always show off his muscles. Yeah. So he would raise his arm up, and. Um, he would flex. Yeah, he would flex his arm, mm -hmm. and then he would extend his arm out, and he would have us. He'd say, "Do you want to? Basically, do you want me to? You want to test me?" So we would grab his arms, like and a tree he, branch. Yeah, huh? like a tree branch, and he would raise it up to see if he could lift us. And of course, he was able to. Wow. Yeah, you know what? Actually, if you think about that, that's pretty strong. At least for me, doing like weight extensions where I'm working the shoulder, I don't know if I could carry how many kids? No, it's just one. One at a time. One at a time? Yeah. But even then, that's still a challenge. Yeah, we were in elementary school. So, so he had a way of being a big kid too, huh? Oh, yeah. The, so, so I'm telling my wife that when I... When I read um, Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground a second time, it wasn't the same experience. And I've heard this, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm in the business of literature. I'm, I am a language arts instructor. So I've read multiple texts multiple times repeatedly. It's part of the program sometimes. And I, I told my wife, you never read one, one book. Um, you never read the same book twice. You never read it. It's always a different experience. And I told her, I am is the same way. Because if you think about it, you could think about God telling Moses, I am that I am, as something very profound and mysterious, or maybe omniscient. But at the same time, M Moses needs to know, hey, who, whom shall I say sent me? And God like a jokester at that time, you know, with his sense of humor, like a good dad who's playful. He says, ah, this guy wants a response. I am that I am there. there. And um, I guess we have to learn, you know, my pastor always says, pray for eyes to see and ears to hear and pray that you're able to get the knowledge from the Bible before you begin that enterprise, that endeavor. Pray before, right? Don't go in there thinking you're going to be able to analyze on your own independently. And um, and I guess sometimes we have to see that that God could, could be playful like that too. That he says, I am. He's like, well, I am. And he gives us only half a sentence. He's like, get out of here, kid. Hey, what are you talking about? You want my name? Get, what's a name? And so... I am is also, he says, I am that I am. I think God is kind of being playful there too. He's being a little jokester at the time. And and that's okay because that's what dads do. You know, I, Emerson says that uh, we lie in the lap of immense intelligence, which makes us organs of its activity and receivers of its truth. So if my instinct tells me that God is being playful, during this time when he says this, then that is true. My instinct is not wrong. And when my instinct tells me that God is being mysterious and esoteric and enigmatic, when he says, I am that I am, 
That is also true. There's no falsity. There's no falsehood in anything. Um, but I'm sitting here right here and I'm asking my wife, challenge me. I want you to test my knowledge and, and tell me um, or ask me, you know, hey, um, what is this or what is that? Or can you explain this? So we're going to do a cold um, inquisition right here. But I, if you can come up with any anything to ask me, that would be wonderful. Just real life. Uh, you know, just improvised right here, spontaneous and um, right at the moment. So my shows are unscripted anyways. If you pay attention, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be edited and I never edit it because I, I'm flawed. I'm not going to hide that. That's um, I wouldn't be getting closer to who I am if I'm going to hide my flaws or try to go in there and doctor my experiences um, with talking about, you know, conversing on this topic because we're just exploring. We're just having fun. There's room for error. There, there's always room for error. Good, that good dads make mistakes. They really do. You know that's why Christ says, "Forgive it, forgive it all." It's it's all forgiven. Um, so yeah, too. Even even with my wife, whatever. I don't know what question she's gonna come out with, but it's all it's all forgiven. And any response I give, that's all forgiven too. Like, <laughs> cause I don't know. I see you laughing. What's so funny though? <laughs> <laughs> just your response i think since we're in the topic of i am um i'm sure a lot of your listeners from different parts of the world are probably wondering the same thing what inspired you to call your podcast i am radio i was sitting in church and i'm not a disbeliever i wanted to be able to explain to non-believers how God exists or where he exists or why he exists. And when I read um, Christ telling the priests before Abraham was, I am, to me, that was the aha moment. That was my eureka. I was like, wow. Because I had, I had seen enough um, visual depictions of Einstein's understanding of time and general physics understanding of time and how time is kind of laid out like a snake, okay? A serpent. There goes that magical serpent. And the serpent exists at all times. The head and the tail exist as one. And we'll say the head is the future and the tail is the past, but it, it's all together. It still exists. And I've seen a depiction of Einstein's explanation of time where it's like a movie, right? Um, a movie? real and the reels all those those little captions or captures of those pictures that's time that time frames there you go mm -hmm. all those time frames that spin to give you the 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 film the movie they all exist at, they all they're already there but now our mind has to unfold it one by one because we're trapped here we have this is the illusion this is the maya right um so when Christ says, before Abraham was, I am, I immediately connected physics, theoretical physics, time, and Christ saying, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm not on your limitations, bruh. I'm actually omniscient. How could you even give any reference frame? Abraham stuck in that, that time frame? What is it called again? 
Time time lapse? Time time lapse? No, the movie. Oh, the picture frame. The picture frame. Abraham's stuck there. I'm not stuck there. I'm I'm the guy putting the the movie on. What are you talking about? I already know everything's occurred. Like don't don't hold me to that. You're lowering my expectations. Come on, man. I thought, thought you knew me better than this. So when he when Christ says that, I was mind blown. I was like, wow. Here, like the Bible holds all the secrets to the universe. It's not it's not spelled out. It's fabled. It's um, metaphored, you know, analogied. But so that was when I was like, I am. There you go. That's the the door opening to understanding an all omniscient God, and then understanding our potentials. Because if we're a fractal emanation, we are that holographic image. We're the projection. We lie in the lap of immense intelligence, which makes us that critical function or the organ of its activities and receivers of its truth. Then we are that God. And that's how we enter that understanding as knowing the power of I am. And now we can, we too can be timeless. Now Christ, if Christ is saying I am, and he says, even the least among you can do all that I have done and even greater things. Then he's, it's all inclusive. Then if he is, if Christ is, I am, then I too am, I am. I have to be because Christ already said that. He spoke that into existence when he said, even the least among you can do all that I have done and even greater things. So it started to make more sense logically. Just a puzzle piece. So it fit in naturally. So that's how I got into it. I was at church and I was blown away and I said, wow, I can actually connect um, scripture with, with theoretical physics. All right, next question. Next question. Yeah, and just keep baking them and I'll keep making them, right? That your brother says, huh? He, <laughs> he makes them and she bakes them? Yeah. Yeah. But I bet you even if you ask a, a question that you think it's trivial or it's um, irrelevant, it all ties in. It all ties in. Everything is I am. This tapatio bottle is I am. This piece of cake right here is I am. The, the second half of the lime is I am. This limon right here. The wine is I am. The rice is I am. Everything. It's all a sacred geometry. It's all a, a, a symbiotic and symmetrical poem. Everything. It's wild. But how? what are some ways... Why are you interested in this? Because we were watching a show together. Um, what is it called? Limitless? We were watching Limitless, and then you were intrigued, and you started wanting to watch more episodes. I started nodding off, and you were taking pictures of the TV, apparently. What made you take the uh, a picture? I was taking pictures of the quotes and the who the people they were referencing. What was one thing that inspired you? Though? Um... <clears throat> like, how did you feel? What What did you feel that said, oh, I got to take a picture of this? It was just inspiring. I love quotes. And I think quotes definitely speak to people. Um, and they speak to me, for sure. Um, they're inspiring, motivating. And just give you a different perspective on how to look at things in a different way. But why quotes, though? Because they're small, little, little aphorisms, little nuggets? They're just words of wisdom. Mm. You know, I think... Everybody can use words of wisdom at any time in their life, regardless mm -hmm. of how much education they've had, how many degrees they've earned, or even 
if they don't have any of that. Yeah. Mark, I think it's Mark Twain. He says, don't let, don't let, um, school get in the way of your education. Mm. I think he says that. But, you know, I learned that from my dad as well. Um, but what was that quote? Did you find it? Yeah, I have two of them. Uh, one says, don't fake it till you make it. Fake it till you become it. Ah. By Amy Cuddy. So just a little tweaking of the word, huh? So mm -hmm. instead, because probably there's maybe some toxicity or maybe some maybe an anchor that's going to keep you from breaking that, huh? breaking through to that because we typically say fake it till you make it that's something that's right just a, a common adage that i've heard in college several times um someone asked that question we were taking a class and you know it was around the time i read black boy in college and then one student at, had like a an existential crisis and just asked during the class asked the professor why are we doing this like what value are we getting out of this and the professor unfortunately her only response was, fake it till you make it. You know, get that degree and then you get access into the door. And I I didn't have an answer for that student. I didn't because I was a student myself. I have an answer now. And it's not fake it till you make it. Language is gorgeous. Language is another form of poetry. The words we use, you know, we make very um, precise and incisive weapons with words. And... We create wars with words. We write them down in papers or we declare them as utterances. And we, we, we create wars. And we also form lifelong relationships with words. We deliver them on greeting cards, right? Holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Birthday, birthday cards. Words are, they're everywhere. They're great. They're, uh, they're the light. Words are the light. You were the word in the beginning, right? Yeah. And my professor, my professor, um, she didn't quite have that answer. Like, you know, we're we're in the business of words, and words go places. We use words everywhere. When we sit down for interviews, it's just a, well, basically what they're doing is you have a panel, or you got a, a some individuals from this sect and that sect, and they're like, okay, is this going to be a team member we're we're going to invest in? And the only way they're going to be able to discern that are the words that come out of your mouth. You know, there could be other things if you're an oddball and you're idiosyncratic and you're just eccentric and you don't shower, so you have like the, the onions wafting out of your armpits and, you know, that's going to lose you your, your job. They're going to say this person practices, they're, um, they're malodorous, they have bad hygiene, we don't want them on our team, you know. We already have a stinky we're trying to get rid of. <laughs> but, um... But other than that, for the most part, it's just the words. I'm sure most people are intelligent enough to take a shower during a, a job interview. But it's words. And, and the professor was not able to elucidate or articulate exactly what I know now. How unfortunate because that professor probably had a PhD. I wouldn't have, at, at where I am right now, I don't have a PhD. But I would say, do you realize how profoundly influential language is? You know, these stories, and at the time, if we were reading Richard Nathaniel Wright's Black Boy, um, that's his narrative, that's his account, that's his testimony to a changing America and him having to change himself from 
going to group thinking into individual isolation for his progress. You know, at the the whole story it culminates in in the um, understanding that whatever he's going to get done, it's going to be alone. That's a powerful message. He wasn't going to seclude himself. He just knew where he was going with his goals spiritually. He couldn't count on his neighbor. It had to be from within. And um, and we're reading this, and that young lady was asking the professor, what's the whole point? Well, the professor couldn't say, well, you're missing the point. Did you read, black boy? Did you read in the time of butterflies? Did you read... All the gorgeous, you know, there's one by uh, Indian, he's an American, and excuse me for saying Indian, Native American. Um, uh, and it's called The Lone Ranger and Squanto Fist Fight in Heaven, and it's by Sherman Alexi. And, and then we get the Native American testimony of the disenfranchisement, the dis, um, excuse me, how do you say that word? He feels disenfranchised and, and uh, Native Americans um, <clears throat> being disillusioned and disenchanted by the um, American takeover. You know, the Europeans come and take over their land and they give them reservations as um, maybe a way of saying get out of our way. Kind of like the way they built projects. And those projects were built the same way as like keep the Latinos over there, stay right there so that we can just have our um, neighborhoods. But you get to hear people's testimonies, you know? Everyone's a living library. And the professor could not arrive at that conclusion and tell that student, You're, we're all living libraries. These words that we convey and that we pass on and that we continue and perpetuate in a living history called life, because everything's a narrative. Science is a narrative. Geology is a narrative. Physics is a narrative. Chemistry is a narrative. These narratives, cha they change. We're going from particle to frequency, energy, evolution. Everybody's becoming aware now. That's what's happening. It's nothing stagnant, you know? But we also want to hold dearly like those narratives that are worth telling. That's why um, somebody said, I, I forgot what author said. I think it's um, Louisa May Alcott. Or, who wrote uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin? The author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. It escapes me right now. But... That person says, um, I didn't write the book. It wrote itself. So there are higher beings that want us to know this stuff, you know? <clears throat> but anyhow, I'm always fascinated because you always, you, you mentioned um, things about psychology that, um, oh, yeah, it's Harriet Beecher, Harriet Beecher Stowe. You mentioned things about psychology and you studied psychology um, and then you tell me that sometimes you just didn't, you weren't, you didn't easily subscribe to a lot of the things you learned. Like talk about some of the things you learned where you're like, nah, I'm, I don't know if I can immediately subscribe or submit or surrender to this logic. I think it's incomplete. There's maybe more, more of an explanation for the behavior or whatever, right? Like what are some, what are some insights that you could share? Uh, about your experience um, acquiring all this knowledge in psychology? Well, um, I mean, there's just so many interesting things 
that we learned in psychology and I remember in reading all the different books and articles and just so many different things it always seemed like they always referred back to things um, being genetic or this happens because of that reason and I always felt like there was just something else besides it just being genetic. You said it was a cop-out, huh? Yeah, like if it was a cop-out. Um, almost like when you think about different medications where there's all these different side effects. A lot of the side effects are very similar. It could be coughing, sneezing, a fever, diarrhea. There's yeah. so many different medicines that are going to cause those exact same symptoms. And I don't know. I, I it just always felt like there pick, has to be something else. Pick your poison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about it, you know, DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. And um, apparently, so the sacred geometry, you know, as um, as above, so below. That the sacred geometry, it goes as far as like all the constellations and everything in the celestial sphere, all the heavens, what it possesses, there's a sacred geometry there. We see a sacred geometry in the shells, um, seashells. We see a sacred geometry in the rose pe flower petals, um, the leaves. And you see just a, just a symmetry even in our body. You can look in the mirror and see a spectacular symmetry. So nature is very symmetrical. Nature is very calculated. Nature is very poetic and artistic. And um, it seems to be a, a very easy understanding. And we're learning that um, some, some scholars have speculated that the sacred geometry goes down to our, our DNA. And then, you know, trying to understand our DNA, we have a whole new field called epigenetics because genetics didn't quite um, cover everything. And we're realizing that the environment, our outside atmosphere, our outside environment, is also dictating how our genes are expressed, you know, hence and thus epigenetics. And so, um, I get what you're saying about how it, it's, it's, it seems all inconclusive. There's, there isn't a conclusive answer, but so we say, okay, oh, it's genetic then. It's there. It's in your genes. It's in your DNA. Because that's the easy way to say there. And then it comes out of their mouth. Ooh, DNA. Wow. Hey, you're smart. Yeah, or, or they respond like this or they're going to respond like that because they come from a low-income family. The environment they live in, they have poverty yeah. and they have health issues and all these other negative things. Yeah. It was always the exact same thing. Yeah. The go-tos, huh? Yeah. It's frustrating, right? Extremely frustrating. It's kind of insulting, too. Yeah. If, if you take a David Wilcock approach, if you guys ever watch his wisdom teaching, this guy is crazy, batshit crazy. And he's also, he's really brilliant. If you don't, if you're not able to discern his his brilliance and his aptitude um, in his, the way he articulates, because it becomes very evident that this man is extremely well read. He knows the science enough that he's able to contradict it and replace it with a new science. The guy's a mad genius. But, um... He says some really wild shit. And um and he talks about the the you know the sacred geometry and how it's even part of the DNA. But what I wanted to say right now, his explanation of all of this would probably be like um that person or spirit 
is dealing with their karmic cycle and trying to clean the slate so they can get out. So they can get out of this place and ascend fourth density where only love and higher forms of energy reside. And right here is just a base um, energy where we're, we are dealing with karma. We're, we're addressing all of the the shit we've done in the last in the past 30 lives because apparently we we've lived about 30 lives you know it's wild this is really wild stuff and of course um david wilcock he, you know he he goes into the explanations of karmic cycle karma and even how christ taught karma and of course that was removed along with all those other books in the bible they were just removed they were kept from us so that we wouldn't understand what we're going through so we just believe we're a separate entity we have individualism we're not interconnected we're not we know in this together but this is a darwinian um survival of the fittest by means of natural selection type universe which it isn't that's the that's the big illusion when you find out you you actually married you i didn't marry my wife i mean i'm staring at me if if I can't yeah if I can't love you I don't love me it's wild right David Wilcock yeah. it's it sounds pretty wild right <laughs> yeah um but that's that's so fascinating you know I've never told you this, this is gonna be the first time I actually disclose this even in our relationship I've known you for approximately four years mm -hmm. perhaps maybe going on five or this will be no, our fifth fourth year okay. Whenever you speak about psychology, you have a, you have such a command of what you've learned of it. So much so. For me, I interpret command as the ability to start questioning things. Right? That means suggestibility. You didn't just accept. And now you're also questioning things. And that's full authority. I commend that. I've never commended you on that. It's absolutely fascinating um, that... You go into a subject and instead of being conditioned, you reject it. You know what? You're a lot like me. I went into the Navy <laughs> and I didn't get conditioned. I rejected a lot of shit. I'm like, why the fuck do I have to salute this guy? <laughs> this guy hasn't been in the military longer than I have and I have to salute him? Man, what do you want me to do? Wipe his ass too? <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. <laughs> yeah. I think people need to know a little bit more about you. Because you know one thing you're very extraordinary about? And I know you're very... You're quiet right now. You're letting me run my podcast. And thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I have to I have to get my... I have to encourage my wife to speak. Because she's like... She's not like me. I'm a talker. I'll talk all night. Anyone who's... <laughs> anyone who has hung out with me and they've drunk with me... They've, you know what I mean? We shared the 12-pack. They know, like, hey, we'll talk all night. Let's play another Stevie Nicks song. Let's go into um, the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. We start bumping the Dalphonics and, you know, stories about my mom, Papa, my dad, you know, the neighborhood, all that good stuff. Um, my wife is a little more conservative with expression, and she's, um for her, less is more. But... I, I want you to um, just share share some insights with our listeners how they can become just better managers of their emotion. Because when you can manage your emotion better, then you are a better I am. 
So maybe maybe one bit of advice would help, but if you could give 20, give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So many people can learn a thing or two about how to cope with their feelings. Um, well, there's so many different strategies that people can use, but definitely I think the, the first and foremost important one is to think of what the consequences are going to be of your actions. Because I think a lot of people will respond to something in a certain way without really thinking of what is that outcome going to be? How am I going to make the other person feel, whoever is involved in that situation? Are you going to hurt their feelings? Are you going to probably hurt yourself somehow, some way, um, depending on what type of reaction you had? But um, one thing that definitely helps is using breathing techniques and thinking in the moment, centering yourself. And I think more than anything, realizing that whatever feeling you you are experiencing or however it is that you're responding to, I mean, it can have some certain consequence after that. And whatever happens, sometimes, you know, the words that we speak, you can't take them back, you know, and words can be very hurtful. So, I mean, there's so many others <laughs> as well, but I mean, those are the main ones that come to mind right now. This is where your super intelligence kicks in. Because I will say in most scenarios in my life where I have spat out and spewed some irrevocable, sinful expression of anger, um, I was never cognizant, conscious, and metacognitive of any consequences. I... <laughs> I was like a child. Emerson says, children don't cumber, they never cumber themselves about consequences. And I would just spew out any hurtful nonsense that would come out of my mouth. And I've, I've done this as an adult too, but I, I, <laughs> I, I never think about it as, as okay, let me stop and breathe. Ooh, I don't, that's usually not the process, you know? So that's where your super emotional intelligence surfaces. Like, those things don't occur to me, but you have to admit, and or you have to understand that, you know, I come from a very different background than my wife. My wife, um, she is the first kid, and so there was a, probably an enormous pressure for her to set an example and whatnot, especially as they, they continue to come out. Oh, yeah, extremely. <laughs> so much pressure. Oh, my goodness. Even till now, I always feel like I still have to set a good example. Yeah. So, and you do set a good example. I think you set a good example for me. I aspire to be more like you. <laughs> and no, I really do. Because Aww, my wife, sweet. man, she has, um, she's an emotionally sound gangster. Like, I could come out all offensive or say something real fucking stupid. You know, relationships, that's going to happen sometimes. Um, I Have you ever been in a perfect relationship? No. Period. The There's end. no such and thing. And I haven't been in a perfect relationship either. Like, wait, I think, um, and you know, sometimes, going back to David Wilcock, um, not to digress, but this is kind of meaningful tangent. Uh, maybe the gods and the angels, they're, they're testing us to see if we even deserve entry into heaven. So, <laughs> well, how do you know you deserve entry into heaven? How do we know you're a loving being if you're not giving, given a situation to love? That means you have to forgive. If everything's all fine and dandy, and if everything is all nonchalant, easy, breezy, lemon, squeezy, easy, peasy, Japanesey, 
Your character's never tested. And if your character's never tested, how would we know what you're comprised of inside? We never know your heart until it's put to the test. You know? And so I think maybe we have angels and demons. Um, and God allows these demons to put us to the test to say, just like Job. Hey, well, let's see what's going on here. Let me see what you're made of, man. You know? And uh, we we have to get put into those angered modes in order to learn to forgive. Because, you know, the story goes that there's a day of accountability. And then God will say to his children, you know, come and drink uh, milk and honey with me. You have this land of prosperity and there's no suffering here. Come. And for the ones who didn't get it, and as David Wilcock will say, they get stuck right back down into third density. Karmic cycle for another 25,000 years. God will say, I never knew you. <laughs> you know, so, um, and it sounds funny, but, and it is all funny. We should be in, we should laugh, right? Alan Watts says, hey, you got to think of work as, as play. You got to laugh. Yeah. But anyhow, um. You, you possess that emotional intelligence. I think that's that's amazing. My wife has taught me more in my life in these last four years than I have known about myself. Because she's put me through the test too. I had to become a real patient guy. Um, you know, just courting and changing my ways. You know, I went from online dating to real life. Uh, let's go old school where we're going to have formalities and manners and all that stuff. There's no manners on Tinder. <laughs> There's no manners on, on Penny of Fish and OkCupid. Mm -hmm. It's all, it gets very vulgar and obscene, you know, kind of like a reduction in character. Um, but with you, I had, to, I had to learn how to love myself. And love myself meant not always um, feeling an immediate pleasure. It took you forever to tell me you love me. You know what I mean? And that was your emotional control. And me, I'm like, no, wait, what? It's got to be now. We need immediate, immediate. <laughs> yeah, you've always been. I think you have a PhD when it comes to emotional control, emotional maturation. You know what? You, you should write a book on that. This is all improvised right now. This, is, this isn't scripted. This is my, my wife right here. She's being quiet. She's shy. <laughs> I'm letting you speak. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. But honestly, you should write a book on emotional control because you have more authority than anyone I've met. Wow. Anyone I've met. I didn't know that. You know, I deem my Uncle Mario perhaps the most intelligent man I've ever met. My father, I've been told, was a genius. But I didn't know my father as much as I know my Uncle Mario. But my Uncle Mario, let me tell you, he's a thinker. He always has the right answer. My cousin Anthony and I remember when I came home at two in the morning. Uh, Anthony and I, we would just we were just so involved in conversation, and we started talking about my Uncle Mario. And he says, "You know, Mario always has the right answer." Mm -hmm. And uh, we were just appreciating family and just sharing love. And I would have to say that you even have more discipline or insight when it comes to emotional maturation more than my Uncle Mario. Definitely more than that. Like, he's not even a good person or a good source or reference point. Um, but, yeah, like, 
you know, my sister Colleen, she'll fly off the handle. My mom says fly off the handle and come out of left field. <laughs> fly off the handlebars and come out of left field. My mom will be like, well, look at you coming out of left field like that. Um, but that would be Colleen. But you, you're um you're very you're you're an emotional ninja. <laughs> you're like a fucking samurai, baby. How do you tell me I and you know This is the first time I hear this. Yeah. I have been told that I do have a lot of patience. And I think I do have a lot of patience. Sometimes a little more than I should, I think. But this is the first time anybody says anything like this. Well, that's your currency into heaven. Mm -hmm. God's going to ask you, what did you do to, <laughs> to serve me? And you can give it to him. You know, no, say go it. ahead, go ahead. No, say no, it. No, no, finish it. No, no, you say it. Because uh, I don't want you to lose it. It's good. No, no, I won't lose it. You probably will. Okay. Just finish what you're Yeah, because, you know, God's a jokester anyways. He's like, I am that I am. Like, get out of here. <laughs> she want to know my name? She was Rodolfo. <laughs> Emmanuel, you know, <laughs> Samson, shit, Johnny. Johnny, get out of here. I am that I am. There, yeah, there. Nameless. <laughs> Natachka Nezvanova, nameless nobody. That was Dostoevsky's unfinished work. That was his last um, novel, Natachka Nezvanova. Anyhow. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say that, going back to people saying that I have a lot of patience, um, when I was working in the, in the high-end uh, furniture business, there was this one particular client that we had who um, stormed into the, the store extremely upset because something happened to her furniture. It wasn't even, it either wasn't delivered on time or something happened. But our, our manager was trying to calm her down and he just didn't know how to, to deal with that situation. So because they knew that I had um, worked as a counselor before and had my counseling and psychology degrees and they've seen me deal with other individuals who are like that in the past. They right away called me, Aurora, you have to go and, and please help out with this with this client. So I just remember going over to her and I was just hearing her out. She was extremely frustrated and she was just upset and of course she was being very rude, very loud, was screaming, and I just remember having to calm her down and just using those, you know, listening skills that I did learn in school and all the practice that I've had throughout working in education in dealing with certain people with different types of personalities and attitudes. And I managed to, you know, de-escalate her and long story short, I became one of her favorite uh, designers there. She would always come and ask for me and she ended up buying more furniture, thousands of dollars. And she even wanted me to, she, I even went to her house to do measurements and continue to work even further. So it really evolved to something wow. else. Mm -hmm. How flattering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they really did come in handy. So having a counseling degree in the design world is definitely super helpful yeah you know what i think it's probably the most relevant too because you're going to deal with personalities whether you're in business or physics um, <laughs> so true yeah no because i read even in the book outliers by malcolm gladwell yeah okay one of the conversation topics is why why didn't einstein or richard p Feynman was also part of that um the Manhattan Project in Los Alamos, New Mexico, when they were constructing the atomic bomb, 
to get you know get it ready and drop it during World War II. After Einstein's prompting to uh, the president, hey, hey, this is a uh, this fusion and, and fission technology is already out there. They're on top of it. The Germans are on top of it. So it became a race to build that atomic bomb for all of you guys who already know, or some of you guys who need to know. So anyhow, um, in Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell talks about how personality is such an integral part to who gets the job, who gets what. You got invited into her house and it was your personality and it had nothing to do with aptitude or IQ or any of that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and Malcolm Gladwell points out he sees a commonality. He sees there's a threshold, an IQ threshold. And he says, if your intelligence quotient is on or around, I don't know, maybe I'll pick something arbitrary like 128. It might not be arbitrary. That might be exactly what he says in the book. Um, but he says, you don't need to be higher. There's some geniuses who possess uh, like a 150 or something like that, you know? And he says, but a 120 would suffice. And he says, what does matter is how you present yourself. How you engage the whole psychology of human behavior, that becomes the tipping point of who's going to get the job or not. And then, um, you know, the leading scientists didn't get the didn't get the job. It was Oppenheimer. He just had more of that personality, but he was not the brightest person on that panel. He wasn't the brightest person on that um, mm -hmm. in that given situation, but he was the more personable amiable yeah i think what it comes down to is how do you make people feel and that's what brings people in towards you that's how you reel them in oh very fascinating so then you know i i guess probably your studies in psychology is a precursor to your imminent success it's just bound to happen um, yeah it's there I don't even know if imminent is an appropriate word. I always hear that negatively, Kano. So maybe um, inevitable. It's an inevitability. It's going to happen. Yeah. we have. If we have our valleys, then we deserve our peaks. And this I, I share in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, um, <clears throat> what challenges do you give to anyone out there? This is going to... This is going to Jamaica. <laughs> this is going to Greece. Hi, Jamaica. Hi, this Greece. Afghanistan. What's up, Afghanis? Hey, Afghanistan. Yeah. It's going to, uh, where else? It's going to the UK. Um, It's going to Ireland. Pro I probably, you know what? Uh, Conor McGregor is listening to me. What's up, Conor? I'd like to take the time to apologize to absolutely nobody. <laughs> Conor um but yeah this is going out everywhere it's going to be in japan it's going to be what do you got to tell all these folks oh enjoy the moment and i think smile as much as you can <laughs> tell us about smiling oh yeah What's that was actually one of the other there's another quote on that let me find it real quick emerson says with the power with the act of self-trust new power shall appear you see that we were already prepared for this yeah. No, non-scripted. You just see how the magic happens. So, so the quote says, sometimes your joy is the source of your smile, but sometimes your smile is the source of your joy. So smiling, if you're not feeling the best, try to smile, have a genuine smile to help you. 
get back down to that energy. The studies are, and supposedly the body does is not able to interpret whether the smile is genuine or not. And so when you smile, you change your chemistry. And um, that's mind-blowing because you're able to change your DNA, your chemical responses. You're able to change your entire composition uh, based on just a small fabricated behavior, like a smile, you know? So, but that being said, this is I Am Radio with um, Richie Ray. And I want you guys to be blessed, stay blessed, live blessed, know, know best, and trust thyself. Every heart vibrates on that iron stream. Thank you for having me. Hey. Bye, guys. And thank you, man. Your, your voice is pleasant. Um, goodbye. I am Radio with Richie Ray. Hey, 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 what's up? How's it going? Um, I have special guests right here, <clears throat> Aurora Rodriguez. And she has a background in psychology. And we were having an idle conversation on I am. And we're having an idle conversation on, you know, the meaning. We're always trying to discover the meaning. But um, tell, what were we even talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, right? Yeah, we were just talking about... Uh, meditation first. We'll uh, start there. Yeah, we were talking about meditation and how meditation helps you focus in the moment. But even so, backtrack too. It wasn't meditation. First, it was the breath. Oh, yeah. It was breathing techniques and what breathing techniques do to help you calm down and... And focus in the moment. And then let's even take it back further. The origin of breathing techniques was learning how to employ emotional maturation strategies to keep your shit together, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So then that led to breathing techniques. And I asked you, why breathing techniques? And then you started to tell me you went physically first, right? Yeah. And how it releases certain hormones like serotonin and um other chemical other, responses yeah other chemical uh -huh. responses and um these responses that make you feel good and help you focus in the moment and and then we started talking about i am the name of your your podcast and how it's not called i was or i will be because we're focusing in the present moment yeah, so God is even, he's a trickster. I'm telling you, he, he tells Moses, I am that I am. Uh, what do you want to hear? <laughs> I am, that, that means now. God is saying now, that his name is now. Oh, Noah, his name is now. His name is now. His name is not then, and it's not will be. His name is not then, that's the past. And his name is not that, that's the future. His name is now. I am. That's so interesting. What a breakthrough. He even answers his, his own question to what his name is. And um, maybe not mysterious or maybe not joking. Maybe all of it. Maybe mysterious and joking. But what a father. What a, what a riddle. He's a riddle. God is a riddle. And we started talking about this because I was telling my wife, you have such a handle on your emotions. You you have like a PhD in emotional maturation. Write a book on this. It'll be a New York Times bestseller. I put it out there. I speak it into existence. I know my wife. Let me tell you, I've read all of Bukowski. If you know me, come and test me. 
I've read most of Dostoevsky. I know Ralph Waldo Emerson like the back of my hand. I know him better than my ears, my eyebrows, my haircut. I, I love Ralph Waldo Emerson. His poetry, quite frankly, not that great. His essays, fire. I love him. The American Scholar, oh my goodness. Breathe the American Scholar. Fire. I know Dr. Deepak Chopra. I've read his stuff. I'm a, I understand him. Um, I have hard copies, audiobook. My point is, I, I've done my research. My wife is an authority on emotional maturation, emotional control, emotional existence. I'm not talking about coping skills. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about composure. Everyone else can be going bat shit crazy. My wife doesn't do that. This whole Trump-tard, lib-tard, um, alt-right, extreme left, this whole uh, democratic socialist, all these labels and names. When my wife has to engage with this, these types of topics, dichotomous, div divisive, she has no problem coping with it. She sees it for what it is at face value. And um, she always says something wise, like, um, they need coping strategies. <laughs> you know, she sees them as little kids on the playground, and they just can't fucking share. <laughs> you make it that simple. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is just respecting people's ideologies, mm -hmm. respecting what they say. And we, we all have to agree to disagree at some point. But there's no reason why to get upset about other people's opinions, thoughts, or whatever things that they express. And I think people just need to chill and relax and don't let people's, people affect you in any shape or form. Because then they're the ones who have control over you. Yeah. That's, a, that's amazing. <clears throat> and it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a trip because you would think that um, the solutions are easy. They should be easy. But we make them far more complicated than they need to be, huh? Yes. Oh, my goodness. We perplex the situation. Yeah. And then even talking about someone else's ideologies. Um, in Self-Reliance, Emerson says, If I know your sect, I can anticipate your argument. He can read you like a book. It's almost um, It's almost embarrassing and insulting, you know? To say, hey, this is what I subscribe to. I have a set of ideologies and I subscribe to this. And um, this is who I am. That's become such a very limited, you know. God puts you in circles chasing your tail. I am that I am. <laughs> I figured that one out. Um, <laughs> I picture that Pomeranian. Yeah. <laughs> Pomeranian. How is your Pomeranian? Um, I am. 
<laughs> How's your pump? <laughs> That's a fun question. It brings so much joy. Yeah. <laughs> it so makes me smile. I just the thought of envisioning that dog. So is laughter I am? Absolutely. Yeah. Laughter is I am, huh? That dog is I am. I am is everything. You think about, you know, the dog pisses on the carpet. And then you are kneeling down to scrub those pee stains. And everything in life keeps you I am. Everything. The door needs to be closed. The windows need to be shut. The teeth need to be brushed. And you are at all times. I am brushing my teeth. I am closing the door. I am picking up the dog shit. Oh, it's like God keeps us busy. He says, here, I got a lot of things for you to do. How beautiful, right? Yeah. Wow. No wonder why dogs bring blessings into people's lives. If you guys haven't realized it, um, I've been an acute observer of how people become rich. I study wealthy people. To me, it's fascinating how we can have such an infinitesimal faction of of abundance collected in, in one small portion of humanity. They, they call it supposedly that 1% or 3%, but it's infinitesimal. And then uh, everyone else is, is kind of like uh, winging it. You know, they're going paycheck to paycheck accidentally and, uh, and um, just kind of making it happen month by, by month, week by week. And so I said, why don't we look at the patterns? And a lot of patterns surfaced. Um, I heard Joe Dispenza and Richard Feynman and a ton of other individuals I not heard, but I read in their literature, they always declare this. If he can do it, I can do it. That's huge. That's a huge breakthrough. So know that and say that. If she can do it, I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. Not with malice, not with competition, but with assurance and affirmation that you deserve because it's your deservability. Um, another thing I, I noticed, like, and this is going to sound wild, but Stevie Nicks kind of pops up in success stories. She's always in someone's success story in either the forefront or the background, but Stevie Nicks is there. And, um, but one other thing is the dogs. People love their pets, little puppies, pets, the doggies. They, uh, they bring you blessings. And usually they come in like financial forms too. Yeah. So that means we need to get one. Yeah. No, we already have one. Yeah. <laughs> it's on its way. It's on its way. <laughs> well, what's the name? We're already naming it. Let's name. Let's name our pup. And why it? Now, is it a he or a she? It's going to be a he. So we're naming him. Yeah. We're naming him. What's his name? That's a great question. Yeah. Hey, we do this before we have the child, you know. So how do we, let's name the dog. People. Can be, your listeners um, type in stuff? Maybe oh. They can give us suggestions. Hey, that'll be interesting. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you, su you should me message in this episode. You can go to Anchor FM and um, you're able to communicate, send me a message. Um. But no, no nonsense for sure. <laughs> and it's gonna be a Pomeranian. Yeah, yeah, yeah a so. Pomeranian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's not going to be a pit bull or any uh, German I love, shepherd. I love pit bulls. Like German shepherds are great dogs. They are, but they're I gorgeous. love Pomeranians. I bet you, I bet you they, they smell less. That's my dream dog. They probably don't even smell hot, huh? Pomeranians. They're cute. They're so adorable. Yeah. But you know what? I do When I look, when I think about Pomeranian, because I want my dog sleeping in my bed. I don't care if it's a... <laughs> I don't care if my, the dog weighs 200 pounds. I love dogs. I don't think I'll mind this dog sleeping with us. Trust me. <laughs> but but the thing is, I like to cuddle. So And I feel already he will be more inclined to be on your side and a little stuck up with me. And only will give me attention when I cook because he knows I'll be generous and I'll feed him. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I know I've had a relationship with a dog like this. Not all my dogs. My people love me. My people only wanted to sleep with me. Yeah. But for, for some reason, I already know the character of our Pomeranian. And it's going to always be with you when I show it the most love. It's, <laughs> yeah. Because I already love the dog. Have you, give, have you been given these visions? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Long time ago. So how do you sleep with our dog? Oh, I haven't thought about that. No? No. Because here's what I do. I cuddle with our dog, and he tolerates it until I pass out, and then he goes with you. <laughs> yeah, probably because your heavy <laughs> yeah. arm is probably choking the puppy. Heavy arm. Like, <laughs> that buff arm. <laughs> no, oh, that no, 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 no. <laughs> You swear. But, it's um. True. Yeah. So, anyhow. I am that I am. Yeah, he says I am. He doesn't say I was. <laughs> yeah. That's why. Yeah. That's why forgiveness. Or I will. Yeah, or I will. I will. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah. That's and, funny. And think about it. Yeah. You know, people who have problems, they always say I was. They reference, oh, I was this in high school. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, well, what are you now? Or they're like, oh, I will. I will pay my child support. Yeah. There's power in I am. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's it? Can you help me? Hey, what can you, yeah, no, I am, I am going to do this. I got this. Wow, I am is such, it's so declarative. Yeah. It's so in the moment. So I am is meditation. Yeah, it's saying I'm focusing on the now. And that's what everybody's trying to get to. If you can only focus on the now, you become that fractal. And I think too, when people say I am, it asserts confidence. Not, oh, I will, or I was. So I think that's. Something super important to keep in mind as well. Yeah. My uncle used to say all the time. And we'd be like, hey, are you ready? And he would shout from the recesses of one one corner of the house or another. I was born ready. That was a declarative I am. Yeah. I remember I told myself, someone said, are you ready? They asked me that question um, right before we left the Renaissance um, the Bonaventure, excuse me, the Bonaventure in downtown LA and, uh, the United States Navy stood me up right there before I, I went into boot camp and then we had to wake up at like five, six in the morning and we take a bus and go to LAX and fly. Um, we had a layover in Minnesota and then we landed in O'Hare, which, um, I believe is the largest airport in America. And at least at the time, this was 1995, September 13th. And um, <clears throat> I'm on the bus, and it's like 5.30 in the morning, 6 in the morning. And someone reaches over to me, just a little body extension to ask me, 
you ready? And I said, I was born ready. I was prepared. My Uncle Mario prepared me for boot camp. Yeah, that's another story. I, I, I shared a story about boot camp and the suffering, and it, it was laughable, but um, there's a lot more to explore about putting yourself into that. It becomes really a meta-reality. And that and that's what meditation is. Meditation is going into that meta reality. You're stepping out of the reality of the fabrication of now and going into the um, universal now. And the universal now, we already know it's non-locality. That means there's no space. There's no time. That means um, there was no time for forgiveness or no time for sorrow or no time for any of that. It doesn't exist. Nothing exists. That's amazing. So fascinating. Yeah. And I, I that's what a, a lot of the avatars, they come here and they're like, well, I already know what I need to do. I need to silence myself and not live with you guys. <laughs> um, maybe the blessed are born in the Himalayas, the Himalayas. David Wilcox says that it's pronounced Himalayas. Kind of like Brazil spelled with an S, but people spell it with a Z. It's Himalayas. But um, I think people who maybe they, they've cleaned their karmic cycle out and they're ready to ascend, the last place they're born into is the Himalayas. So they become Tibetan and they're ready to om and ascend the light body and all that stuff. But I am. I am is now. And if you say I am, you declare I am in your life. This is how powerful it is, Aurora. I am means you didn't have a bad childhood or a good childhood. It's irrelevant. How is this quesadilla relevant to my childhood? <laughs> yeah. It seems silly, right? But this quesadilla has nothing to do with my childhood. Can you imagine if I ate this quesadilla thinking about my childhood? Or I bring the guacamole into my childhood? The gu This guac was like, whoa, dude. I was like made with love. Why are you bringing, stringing me along? With memories of your mom. <laughs> I have cebolla in here. Aguacate. I have all these different ingredients that make me beautiful. And now you're bringing the memory of your mom. That's the sin, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And so, for those of you that are visual learners, just to give you a little <laughs> <laughs> background, uh, we're sitting in our dining table in our kitchen, and there's a, a dinner plate in front of him that has a, a quesadilla, rice, and guacamole, and that's what he's referencing. <laughs> yeah, and I just polished off the last of the wine that we have. It's a nice little um, Riesling, uh, Chateau Saint-Michel. Um, and maybe it's, is it Riesling or Riesling? Riesling. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not Germanic and I'm not Italian, but but I, I, I suspect it might it might oh it'll be Riesling. Riesling because if it were Germanic, it would be with the E, it would we would have to transpose. But anyhow, those letters are yeah, it's Riesling. At any rate, that's just the etymology that I'm I, I'm deducing. Um Yeah. The quesadilla doesn't deserve it. Then it goes, yeah, even in your new relationships, right? I am. I am now. I was, I was speaking with my wife earlier about some of these wild experiences that I had. <coughs> you know, we're very open. And um, I talked to, talk to my wife. And I said, you know, I, I met some people who had some really wild eccentricities 
emotionally when I was um in my dating experience, and I'll just I'll be very politically correct and formal about this stuff. And then um how did that conversation go? <coughs> just we were talking about just certain weird things, right? And then you're like some weird psychological issues that <laughs> apparently those women were dealing with. Yeah, but, and then, okay, because I needed that filler because I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, um, damn Riesling. But then, okay, so, I remember, I remember distinctly that an individual told me one time that, um, that person could be crazy, you know? And of course, like, okay, yeah, we all have that capacity. But this person didn't need to tell me that. Like, but it was but this is an example of you're not being I am, you're being I was. Because you were crazy, but you ain't cray cray now. Like, don't adopt that again in, in this new setting. Don't take the old you into a new setting. It's a new setting, a new revival. A new evolution, a new ascension, it's a rebirth. You know what just crossed my mind? What's up? If they say that your organs and body rejuvenate after a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. why doesn't our personality rejuvenate? Absolutely. That's what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, the Japanese, I hear some cultures, um, my, my friend Louis, he told me, Rich, in, in Japan... Some people, um, some cultures, they completely rename themselves. <laughs> yeah, they do. They just rename themselves. So they'll be like, Shikoro! In, you know, the first 20 years. And then they become Ichiro! In the next 20 years. Well, but, I have a good friend who changed her name. Yeah. Because she didn't pick the name that they originally gave her. So she wasn't in agreement to it. Oh. So as an adult, she changed her name. And that's taking authority and reinventing yourself, evolving, yeah? Yeah, it makes sense. Oh, and you never told me the rationale behind it, but good for her. Because yeah. that was kind of like a, a declaration, like, no, it's going to have its time. And if she wants to re-evolve, that's okay, too. We don't have to be stuck with our names. Yeah. My dad gave so much pride in Rodriguez. You're a Rodriguez. Hey. You're a Rodriguez. My sister told me one time I used to, you know, I used to be a womanizer. I just loved women, all <laughs> shapes and sizes, all the geometries, all the poems, and um, all the all the variety of batshit crazy. And they they were just fascinating creatures to me. And then at one time Colleen told me this. Hey, remember, you are R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z, but you are not easy. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. There goes Colleen for you. And she's a, she's a, been a great sister. Yeah. <laughs> she's like the angel that um somebody, some like God already knew. Like yeah. you're going to need that, that lasting battery to stick with you because you're a character, Rich. <laughs> but you got to come in, fix your karma, and Colleen will be by your side. Colleen's been that person. That's Do you, great. you have your angel? Have you identified her? Because my sister is my angel. I know, I know this. I don't know if I've ever thought about that, to be honest with you. It's a good question, right? Yeah, who's a your angel? Question. That's to my listeners, too. Who's your angel? Identify them. And take them out. Once we open up from all this COVID lockdown, this 13th lockdown that we're having and whatever, <laughs> your 17 masks, take them off. And once we get to go down to, like, three masks instead of 17, um, take them out to, to dine. Get them a nice glass of wine with um, 
stir-fried whatever and or a nice piece of fish a good cut you know cod is cod is good um but treat that angel and to tell him too over a glass of wine even before you drink say you know i'm gonna tell you something you're you are my angel and um and you deserve this i'm taking you out it's always nice to take your angels out i've done that i've identified them oh yeah quality time it's important <laughs> yeah I told my sister, I said, you know, um, she has done great things for me. And, you know, <clears throat> 20 years ago, I was not able to, to reciprocate the love. But now 20 years later, I am able to. And so I did. And so I said, whatever you want, I'm, I'm going to give you. And uh, I was prepared to give her large sums of money. And all she asked for, she says, I want you. She was so determined. I want you to buy me pink concert tickets. <laughs> so then I was like, all right. So I took my wife and my sister to the pink concert. I think that was one of the most enjoyable times of my life. I think it was a beautiful night. It was awesome. It's the best concert experience I've ever been to. I loved it. My wife loved, you know, I get, you know, if, if we think about I am. Yeah. You were that night. Mm -hmm. And Colleen was that night. You guys were, I am, you were happy, you were blessed, you were in the moment, you saw pink flying in the air and you took pictures and you were in love. You saw all the acrobatics and the gymnasts. You two were, my wife and my sister were happy and that made me happy. To see them happy. That was a beautiful night. It was at the Forum. In uh, Inglewood, California. But boy, my sister and my wife, they were... She wasn't my wife yet, huh? You weren't my wife? No. No. They were happy. I made two women happy that night. I was successful. You know, I guess if you are going to be... I was. Take those memories. The good ones. And, um, but I would even say, if you allow any memory to <clears throat> seep in, let it be those, and then send them off, because you are, and so you continue to create more of those I am experiences. Yeah. So my wife, she got emotional right there, but tell you, let us know, like, what was it? Because there was something. It was a button that was pushed. What was your experience? <laughs> yeah. There was a magic. There had to have been something. Maybe a gratitude, huh? It opened up a grad like, wow, yeah. I love how you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. But it just um, made me think about how right now we can't go to any concerts. And just the magical feeling of being around so many people, all that positive energy, and how much realizing how much I miss that. Yeah. Being able to celebrate and dance among other people and hug. Yeah. And that's why I got so emotional you speaking about that. Yeah, we had one hell of a night. Um and we're going to have more. I can't wait. I can't wait. 
I, I never knew that being a man was was <clears throat> gonna entail the service of others. I didn't know that. I was just in it for myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Selfish. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you yeah. wake up, right? And you're like, what am I gonna eat? And how's the world gonna serve me? Mom, did you, mom, make me this? Or, you know, I didn't have a mom in, in a lot of my childhood. Um, but I did have a grandma and... Uh, I was served. She was loving in that way. She was tremendous with acts of service. If you guys haven't read The Five um, Love Languages, read it. It's a good book. It's a oh, good yeah. Read. Highly recommend it. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, but, yeah, it's all about us. And I didn't realize how much joy is brought to you when you just serve. It's almost like uh, you hit the jackpot. You win the lottery when you get an opportunity to serve. That's the true lottery winning. Just that you served. Yeah. But at any rate, um, I thank you guys for listening. I hope this conversation enhances your understanding of the importance of meditation and living in the now. Understanding yeah. in the now, right? Because it's not was. And then sometimes if our mind gets a little tricky, shift it to those positive memories and stay positive and ask yourself at all times. And I'm sure Wayne Dyer would say this the late great Wayne Dyer. I love that man. He would say, does this idea serve me? Does this idea help me? And if it doesn't, if the thought doesn't, discard it. It's got to promote you. It's got to remind you of how beautiful you are. Yeah. So if God says, okay, I'm ready to enter heaven and God's right there, he's ready to judge. He says, okay, give me one act of service. That puts you into heaven. I'm going to say, I put a smile on my wife and my sister's face in the same night. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, right? It was a magical night. Yeah, yes. and I'm going to say Pink. Yeah, <laughs> Pink did it. Her album's amazing, too, that album. Do you know, remember the name of it? No, I don't remember. I don't remember either. I was... It was one of her latest ones. Yeah. Most recent ones. Yeah, but she's fascinating, by the way, too. So if you really want to live in the moment, you know why Pink is magical? She, because she elicits the the I am. She brings that out. She evokes the the um the better side of us, the more explorative and the more poetic side of us. Um, hang hang out with those vibes that that allow you to live in the moment. Because believe it or not, listening to music is a form of meditation. Yeah, it it yeah. puts you in the now and it gives you. Such a concrete understanding of who you are right now. And right now says, I am. It's not I was or I were. Bye-bye. <laughs>